would, open with, your, with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3 today. James chapter 3 is where we are, and also Genesis chapter 3, if you want to flip back all the way to the beginning of the book, the front of the book, we might make it uh, there today, we might not, but just in case, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Right now where we are at, at Destiny Church, is we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Live Like Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's time to live like Jesus. We're studying the book of James together, and James was written by a man named James. Real creative names that the Bible has for the, the books of the Bible. But it was written by a man named James, two believers who are in a difficult season under persecution. They've actually had to flee their homes uh, to, to get away from the persecution that was happening in the area that they were. And he writes to them to encourage them to live like Jesus. James was Jesus's younger half-brother, and he saw the way that Jesus lived. He eventually came to worship Jesus as God, and he writes to tell us as Christians that, hey, it is our job to not just be saved by Jesus, but actually to live like Jesus in the world. You see, God has called you to be salt and light. You're to be the light of God today, every day. Every day you go out into the world, you're taking the light of Jesus. How many of you know the world needs Jesus? Amen. The world needs Jesus today. The world needs Jesus today, if not now more than ever. The world needs Jesus. And it's his church, it's you and me, the saints, that are going to take that out as we live like him. So today we're going to finish James chapter 3. Chapter three and I want you to know that I have today for you some deep spiritual truth to impart to you. I do. Um, it, we're going to go a little bit deeper today. And the way I like to view the Word of God and my relationship with God, it's like going to the beach. There's a lot of fun to be had at the shore. There's a lot of fun to be had playing around in the shallow water. There's a lot of fun to be had. How many of you have ever been tied behind a boat and you went skiing? right? That's a lot of fun. I could never get up on the skis, so they just dragged me behind the boat. Um, but that can be fun too if you're on a raft or something. There's a lot of fun to be had at, at the top level, but there's another world underneath. And there's actually buried treasure. The, the deeper you go, the more that you can find. And actually, there's some treasures hidden beneath, below, in the deep. And so by the grace of God today, uh, he's going to help me to impart uh, some spiritual truth to you today. And I need to pray and ask the Lord for his help. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, without you uh, opening or even giving to us the ability to understand language, Lord, we wouldn't even understand any of this. Lord, help uh, me as I proclaim your word today. Lord, I pray that it would be fruitful for your people, your precious people that are here today. Lord, uh, let us walk in freedom today. Let us walk in liberty today. Lord, I pray that the lives of the enemy would be broken off of people's lives today. Lord, that as we study our, your word today, that we would encounter you, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, that we would have life and life eternal in your name. Lord, uh, let us go deep today and get what you want for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, James chapter 3, only six verses today. 
And uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll walk back through and start unpacking it. So James chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? I was waiting for somebody to say me, but <laughs> maybe that's because you're really wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where wisdom, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? Now, what James is saying here in verse 13 is that if you are wise, you will put your wisdom on display with your good conduct and in meekness. And so the question we, I want to ask you this morning, right at the beginning, is what is wisdom? What is this thing he's talking about? Be wise, put your wisdom on display, wisdom from above, wisdom from below. What is this wisdom that he is talking about? The easiest way, and I had a, a young man in the church from the youth group uh, ask me this question just a few weeks ago. He said, what is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? The Bible talks about both. Wisdom, simply put, the, the, the most distilled version I can come up with is that wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. Wisdom is being able to take information in and making and deciding on a good and holy and wholesome and righteous course of action. That is wisdom. Now, I don't want to discount knowledge. Knowledge is also very important. The majority of um, education is actually knowledge, putting knowledge into you. Facts, figures, how to do arithmetic, grammar, all of that kind of stuff. Knowledge is important, amen? You all showed up here today because you knew that we had church at 1030, amen? I'm going to disseminate some important knowledge right now. I think it's hot in here. Can we get some more AC Go. I'm hot. So I'm going to ask for some more AC. That's a little bit of knowledge there. And the air conditioner will come on, hopefully. Okay. When I see three fans going, that's when I say it's time to go. All right. So that's my cue. Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is important. I thank God for knowledge. I thank God that we live in the knowledge age or the information age, right? The information age. You know, there are so many things so many facts and figures uh, that we can find out in an instant by pushing an app or a button on our smartphone. 
This past Friday night, I was out on a date with my wife, Heather. We were out to dinner. This year, we're celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary in November. By the grace of God and the grace of Heather, we're celebrating 10 years of marriage. And uh, so we were out and we were talking about we're going to take a big trip. We're going to go relive our honeymoon a little bit. And we're going to go to New York City for our anniversary. So we, we were looking at, while we were waiting for our table at this restaurant, at, we started to plan. And so we're, we pull, I pull out my phone and I push this app. And I start looking at what the prices are for flights in November from San Antonio to New York City. Just like that. And we do it all the time. The information age. I thank God for it. It's wonderful to live in the information age. How many of you have been having a conversation with someone and you're like, oh, I think it's such and such and so and so. And they pull it up and there it is. We, we, we don't have to live wondering. The, it's all the information. That, it's great. It's wonderful. It is a blessing. But wisdom is taking knowledge to a higher level. It's a higher level of knowledge. It's a higher order of thinking. It's doing the right thing with the knowledge that I have. Now, all of us have known people who are brilliant, who are smart, who know so much. They have a genius level IQ. You ask them any question and they're like a computer. Facts, figures, dates, they can tell you all kinds of stuff. Solve math problems in their head but they, have, they struggle with the, the most simplest of, of tasks. Have you ever met anybody like this? Right, just the, their relationships are a mess, their, their, their lives are in disorder, their finances are a wreck. They're brilliant people. They're full of knowledge. They can program the, you know, the lunar lander, but, but they can't tie their shoes, right? It, We've all known people like this. It's knowledge without wisdom. So uh, it says that we need to get wisdom and we need to act in wisdom. The Bible has a lot to say about both, but the, the Bible instructs God's people to pursue wisdom, to pursue wisdom. It says as you gain it, to put your works on display in wisdom, in a spirit of meekness. What is this word meekness? Some people have the wrong understanding of the word meekness, and they think that the word meek means weak, or that meekness means weakness. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What? It doesn't sound weak to me if you own the whole earth, right? Sounds like you have some strength. Sounds like you have some power. Meekness is not weakness. As I began to reflect this week on who do I know that is meek, the first person, I'll be honest with you, the first person that came to mind was not a real person, but a fictitious character from comic books. And this man's name is Clark Kent the meek and mild-mannered reporter, right? That's how he was described. Clark Kent, Superman's alter ego, Superman's secret identity, you know, the, the guy that Superman would dress up as so he could go to H-E-B and buy milk without everybody, like, bothering him, right? That Clark Kent was meek. And I know you might be saying, what in the world does Clark Kent have anything to do 
with me with the Bible. It's just a picture. It's just a, a way for you to understand. But actually, Clark Kent is one of the best examples of meekness because meekness means strength under control. That's what meekness means. Power under control. Now, Jesus obviously is a much better example of meekness than Clark Kent, right? How he was all-powerful, yet he was able to be in control and actually submit his will to the will of the Father. Jesus is the great example of meekness. But meekness is not weakness. Another way of, of thinking about meekness, it carries with it this idea of a, of a wild horse who has been broken in. Have any of you ever tried to break in a horse? I never have, but... I've seen other people do it on TV, and it looks like a lot of hard work. And a wild horse, the truth is, it's not useful to anybody. But once it has been broken in by its master, all of a sudden it is useful to the master. Very much strong. It doesn't lose any of its strength. It doesn't use any of its power. Yet through this breaking in process, it is able to apply the power and strength in the right direction. It becomes useful to the master's purpose. And so what this verse is saying, verse 13, is that if I am wise, I will put on display through my good conduct, through my understanding, through my meekness, I will put on display self-control. And in doing so, I become useful to God and to his purposes. Does that make sense? So wisdom, where do we get wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to take in knowledge and information and to apply it, to, to make the right decisions, to make the right judgments. Where do we receive this? Let me ask you this way. Where do you get wisdom? Where do you get this worldview or this thought that informs your decision-making process in your everyday life. As you take to, as you, I know the word, I know that, but just give me some time to, you know, draw out some tension and, and make this worthwhile, okay? Let's just, I mean, we could just cut to the end and say Jesus and we could all be done, right? All right, but, 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 but okay, if, if that was really true, you would never sin. So we do have a problem here because all of us have sinned. So, so our, our worldview is not 100% informed by the word because if it was, we would live like Jesus and we would never sin. Now, if I was having a church service here for people who never sinned, it would be an empty building today. If I was holding a service today only for people who hadn't sinned this week, it would be an empty building today. If I was holding a service for only people who hadn't sinned today, it would be an empty building today. You're saying, no, it wouldn't. You just lied to yourself, and now it would be. So, so we, have a, we, have a, we have a problem. What is the source of wisdom? What informs it? Of course, the Lord. Of course, the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Word. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Right? In James chapter 1, verse 5, we saw, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Pray. Let him ask God, and God will what? Give him wisdom. 
So, so God is a source of wisdom. First Corinthians chapter one and two, Paul talks about how Christ, uh, that how God in Christ has put on display His wisdom, and how Christ now is our source of wisdom. And verse seventeen talks about this wisdom that comes from above, that it is pure that it is peaceable, that it is gentle, right? All of the fruit of the Spirit get put on display through this, this God filter, through this ability to apply knowledge as God sees it. So there is this pattern of thought that we can receive from God on how to apply what I know, how to act, how to live, how to behave. So God, yes, obviously God, he is a source of wisdom, his way, his word. We all agree on that. Amen. But curiously, verse 15 says there is another source of wisdom, doesn't it? That there is another source, that there is another idea, that there is another pattern of thought on how to apply knowledge that is different from God's wisdom. Are you tracking with me? And he goes on to say that this different way, this alternative way to think, act, and live and behave, that this is actually at the source, the root of this thinking. It's demonic. It's unspiritual. It's earthly. It is satanic. The source of this thinking The source of of thought that produces these types of things, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, boasting, lies, the source of these things is not God, but it's actually a satanic source. So right now I'm going to ask you, we're going to zoom way out, okay? We've We've been... kind of deep, I want us to zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. Imagine you've got a a camera and we're going to put the wide angle lens on it. We're going 30,000 feet up in the air. How many of you have been in an airplane, right? You look out the window, it's a little bit different view, right? You get a little bit different perspective, okay? We've been talking about God's word. God's word is a source of wisdom. Let's zoom out. What is this book? What is this book? What is this book that I hold in my hands here? It's the Word of God, right? The Word of God. So calling this book the Word of God, it implies that who wrote this book? God. Very good. Now, of course, God didn't put pencil to paper. The uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 16 says that God breathed upon or inspired authors who wrote down his words for us. Now, why would God write a book? I kind of think that's funny. Infinite power, infinite wisdom, right? Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ holds the universe together with his power. That your DNA right now is being held together... Why did God sit down and write a book? He can do anything. Was he bored up in heaven one day? You know, he, he went into retirement and thought, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at this authorship thing. 
might get into it a little bit. Maybe he was looking for a secondary source of residual income, something he could stick on Amazon, right? Why did God write a book? Why would God write a book? This book is the Word of God. Let me tell you the genre that this book is. This book is an autobiography. This book is God writing to us His story about who He is and what He has done and what He has finally done ultimately in Jesus Christ. That is what this book is. Now, why would God write an autobiography? Because he wants us to know him. That is why we have the Bible. That is why God wrote a book. I've heard this book described many different ways. One way is that uh, the Bible is the roadmap to your life. And if you want to you know, get to where you want to go, you've got to read the map. Another way is that the Bible is uh, like the instruction manual to life. And you don't try to put anything together that's complex without first reading the instructions. Otherwise, you're going to get into a bunch of trouble. And, and there, there are nuggets and kernels of truth in that, but there is a much broader picture to it than simply that. Because ultimately, this book is not about you, and it's not about me. And when I reduce this book to you know, tips and tricks on how to have a good life now or how to you know, tweak my marriage or tweak this or that or how to get ahead in my career, look, when I make this book about me, I'm missing the point. Amen. Now, certainly there are things in here about how to live my life. Absolutely, there are. But that's not the reason why God wrote this book. The reason why God gave us his word, it is to reveal to us who he is, his nature and his character, because, here's the point, because you will only fulfill your God-given purpose in relationship to your creator. You, you have to be in relationship to your creator, God, for you to be able to find and fulfill the reason that you are walking on planet Earth today. There's no other way for you to find fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, happiness. There's no other way for the purpose of God for which you were created to be fulfilled in your life apart from knowing your creator, being in relationship to him. And so God in his goodness and his love for us, he has revealed himself to us in his word. And as, amen, thank you. Yes, somebody give me an amen. amen. You're all thinking, hopefully that's what's going on. Not just like checking in on open table somewhere to go get a lunch reservation. Only in proper relationship with your creator will you be able to fill, fill what you were put on earth to do. Listen, your existence is not an accident. It, it's not an accident. You're not, you know, just a monkey that hit the lottery, you know, a billion years ago. You are... A created being, created in the image of God Almighty. Your life has meaning and value and purpose. God put you on this planet for a reason. If you are breathing today, it's because he right now fills your lungs with breath. If you are alive today, and I pray all of us are in this room, 
It is because he is pouring his life into you, animating your body right now. And the only way for you to figure out and to find out what that reason and purpose is, is to know him and to have him show you. Nobody else can tell you why you're here. I can't tell you. Only God can tell you. Only God can show you. And so he has revealed himself to us so that we could have relationship with him and fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Now, in this revelation, as God reveals himself to us, we get to see a little bit of a glimpse of how he thinks, of how he sees the world, of how he sees us. How many of you, when you first started dating your spouse and, and courting your, your wife or your husband, you, you wanted to get to know them, right? Who is this person? I think they're kind of cute, you know? Maybe we'll go and like eat food together and talk about stuff and we get to know each other. You guys remember that, right? I know it was last century, but you remember it, right? Actually, last millennia. Um, anyway, so in the process of, of getting to know someone, you begin to learn how the other people, how the other person thinks, right? We don't always think alike, do we? No, but we begin, we, we begin to understand how other people think. And the more I know someone, the better I can predict what they're thinking. My wife, she can... She knows what I'm thinking. I'm not hard to read, but she knows what I'm thinking. It's incredible. And a lot of times, not a lot, sometimes I know what she's thinking. Um, but she'll say, hey, can you guess what I'm thinking? I'm, I'm, I want to go out to eat. Can you guess what I'm thinking? And a lot of times I'll be able to guess. It's crazy. She only likes two places, so I just flip a coin. But... <laughs> The more you get to know someone, the more you begin to understand how they think. And so as we enter into this relationship with God, not based on our works, but the finished work of Christ, not on our own merit, but because of what Christ has done for us, as we enter into this relationship with God, we get to know him and we begin to see that he doesn't see things quite the way that we do. Have you noticed this? That, that God has a way of seeing the world that's different than the way we see the world. God has a way of seeing us, seeing me, seeing you, different than the way that you see yourself. Have you noticed this? And so through knowing God and his word, I can see the world as he sees it. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God says this about himself and us. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How much higher is the heaven than the earth? It's really far up there. God's wisdom, God's way of thinking, God's way of seeing is, is a higher order than what I do in my own self, in my flesh, with my own brain. Does that make sense? Philippians 2.5 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is he talking about? He's talking about the ability to interpret things for how they truly are. 
the ability to see reality for how it really is. So, through knowing God and His Word, I can see the world as He sees it. And this is kind of important because there's only one version of the truth. I, I know you don't believe me, but there's only one version of the truth. There's only one truth. You know, we, we live in a world where, where we don't believe that, we don't think that, we don't feel that. We live in a world that says there's two sides to every story, right? Actually, that's not true. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, there's your side, and then there's the truth. The truth does not change. Now, if I flip on one news channel and another news channel, it's like they're living in different realities. But there's only one truth. Do you understand this? In this day and age in which we live where it seems like everybody is, is just digging in trenches on either side of the divides in our world and coming up with their own alternative facts, our own version of the truth, there are not multiple versions of the truth. Anyone who tells you that is lying to you. There's only one truth. This is the way God sees the world. As God reveals himself to us in scripture, his way of seeing the world is totally different from ours. We live in a world of moral ambiguity. We live in a world of moral relativism. We live in a world of everything is, is shades of gray, right? Shades of gray. Well, some things are better than others, and I'll, I'll, you know, lesser of two evils, and, and, and th well, this is bad, but it's not as bad as this, and I, I know it's, it's kind of a gray area, but listen, that is not the way God sees the world. You need to know this. When God looks at the world, he doesn't see gray. He sees black and white. That's how God sees the world. God sees good, and God sees evil. God sees light, God sees darkness, God sees truth, God sees lies, God sees right, God sees wrong. There's not any moral ambiguity with God. God's not up there in heaven, you know, wringing his hands as you are, you know, what's the right thing to do here, and what do I do, I don't know. God's not up there saying, oh, what's, what, what's the right thing to do, I don't know. I hope he can figure it out. Maybe he can like, tell me what he did so I can know. Like, God, that, that doesn't exist with God. The Bible says that God is righteous. What that means is that everything God ever does is always right all the time, period. That God is holy, that he's separated from this moral ambiguity, that he's not tainted by sin. But the world we live in, in, in and of ourselves, it is a world of gray. Amen? How many of you, you, sometimes you don't know what the right thing to do is? What do I do in this situation? I know, I'll call Pastor Matt, and he'll tell me what to do. And then I say, you need to pray, and you need to go ask God. You need to go get God's wisdom. Okay, anyway, um, back to where are we at? Are we at 30,000 feet? Let's see. Uh, can we bring this in for a landing today? Um, oh, go higher, okay. 
We might run out of oxygen if we try that. Um, So the world in which we live, it is ambiguous for us, but it is not for God. You need to understand that. When, when God sees your life, he, he doesn't see a, a world of relativism. He doesn't see a world without absolutes. God sees your life through the lens of black and white, yes or no, right or wrong, sin, good, evil, these binary categories. You need to know this. You need to know this. Now, for us, it is that way, and the question is why? Why is it so hard for us to know right from wrong? Because all of us have been tainted by sin. This is where I wanted to go in Genesis chapter 3 today. I don't have time to turn there. But in Genesis chapter 3, God had created the universe. God had created Adam and Eve. And God had revealed himself to them, just as he's revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. He had revealed himself to Adam and Eve. They were without sin. They were perfect. They lived in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect fellowship with God in the perfect place. Everything was wonderful. Everything was unified. Everything was as God planned it. He said it was very good. And God had instructed them. He had said, I've got some stuff for you to do. I want you to exercise dominion. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to cultivate the earth that I'm giving to you. I want you to fill it with my image bearers. That was what they were to do. Their job was to reflect the glory of God to God's creation, to put God's nature, God's character, God's plan, purpose on display for the universe. That was their job. He said, I do not want you to take of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you do it, you will surely die. And so one day, the serpent comes, Satan disguised as a serpent, he comes. And he begins to have a conversation with Eve, the first woman. And he says, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Now that's not what God had said. God had said, you can eat of any tree but this one tree. Satan comes and says, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree? Man, God's kind of a bummer. God's kind of, you know, he's he's kind of an ogre. He's kind of a strict dude. He's running a tight ship around here. Man, he won't let you eat any fruit? And she says, actually, no. He said we can't eat of this one tree or touch it, which God didn't say that they couldn't touch it. And then he begins to to lie to Eve. He says, listen, God lied to you. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because the moment you do, your eyes will be opened. And you won't have to live under his rule and his reign and his authority anymore. You can be an authority unto yourself. You can determine right and wrong for yourself. You can be a God unto yourself. That's what he came and told her. Don't live under God. He's trying to keep good things from you. He's a mean dude. He's not trying to bless you. He's trying to curse you. He knows if you take of this, all of your dreams will come true. And so she did. She took it. She ate of the fruit. She gave some to Adam, who was there with her, who failed in his husbandly role to protect her from the lies of the enemy. He ate it too. And sin brought separation between humanity and God, 
eventually brought death into the world and suffering and heartache and sickness and this world of moral ambiguity that we live in. Here's what Satan offered humanity. I'm going to wrap all of this up. Satan offered humanity an alternate idea, an alternate wisdom, an alternate way of applying knowledge. God said, if you eat of the tree, you will die. Satan comes and says, eh, that's one take. That's one version of the truth. Let me give you another take. Let me give you another version. An alternate wisdom, an alternate way of viewing the world. And humanity embraced the lie. It wasn't so much... Yes, it was eating of the fruit and disobeying of God. Yes, that was a sin, 100%. But it was also the embracing of this lie that produced death in their life. It was a lie about who they were, and this lie was rooted in a lie about who God is. God's a bad dude. Live for yourself. Be your own God. Live apart from God's wisdom. Interpret your life for yourself. I can't, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and, you know, sharing the faith and, and what Christ has done for you and how amazing God is. And they say, you know what? I, I just, I want to be in charge of my own destiny. And I sit there and I, I, I kind of chuckle on the inside. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're in charge of your own life? You think you're in charge of your own destiny? We all live... <laughs> our lives are so connected to forces so far outside and beyond our control. Amen. And when we come to God and we come to Christ, what we're really acknowledging, it, 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 we're not really giving to him anything that doesn't belong to him. We're just acknowledging his ownership of our lives. Amen. Saying, God, I've been trying to do something apart from how you have instructed me. I've been trying to do things my way. It doesn't work. It produces death. I've been exercising the wisdom of this world. But God, now I see things clearly. I belong to you. Now show me how to live. Show me how to act. Show me how to walk. Give me your perspective. Give me your wisdom. Give me your insight. Show me the way that you view the world so I don't have to walk in bondage, so I don't have to walk in the lies of the enemy, which only produce death and destruction in my life. Does that make sense? Because of sin, we are all born believing this lie, that we're to live for ourselves, we're to live for our own glory, that, you know, that I'm at the center of the universe, that, that my happiness is the top priority of everything. And so we live out, humanity lives out their lives pursuing this lie, that one lie that Satan sowed in the garden so long ago. And this lie is passed down to us from Adam. We call this the sin nature. We call this the lust of the flesh. All of the different things in the Bible that talk about this. But the truth is, it's just a view. It's just a, a perspective. It's an alternate wisdom. And it is sin. And it permeates everything. It clouds everything. It clouds everything. You know... I love you. I love you guys. I, I do not want you to have to live in, in, in this cloud of moral ambiguity, of, of not being able to tell right from wrong. And, and if you are living in sin, it clouds everything. 
it clouds everything. Now, now certainly, you know, there's times where my flesh rises up and, you know, I yell at my kids or I'm short with my wife or, you know, all the, 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 that kind of stuff where we do sin or I think something that I shouldn't. But, but the moment that that does, what God has offered to me in, in Christ is, is forgiveness of that, is, is redemption from that. And, and so instead of digging in my heels and saying, no, I think this is a good idea, I think it's a good idea for me to have these kinds of thoughts. I think it's a good idea for me to yell at my wife and kids. And so I'm just going to keep doing it. Instead of digging in my heels and doing that, I come to Christ. And I say, thank you for paying the price for my sin and for offering me freedom today. I don't have to continue in that. But if I do continue in that, it clouds everything. And I can't make a decision about anything because I can't walk in the revelation that God has given to me. So this sin nature, it's a problem. In my natural state, my way of viewing the world is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This way of thinking is demonic. It is from Satan, and the result of this way of thinking is death. And I need to be set free from this unspiritual, earthly thinking. We see the results of, of what the earthly thinking is and the results of what God's thinking is. The earthly thinking produces bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, strife, boasting, just nastiness in relationships. What is the, the, the wisdom from above thinking? What, what does that produce in your life? Purity, patience, peaceable, being gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness i want category b amen, amen? amen. i don't want strife i don't want to be jealous i don't want bitterness in my life there is another way and you can have it and the results of each the wisdom of each the end of each as some very wise person once said the proof is in the pudding so what do we do? Well, we look to Christ. That's what we do. That's what we always do. Step one, look at Jesus. Step two, look at step one. It's always Jesus. It's always going back to Christ. Jesus, his arms extended on the cross. He offers to you right now where you're at in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your cloudiness, in the midst of you embracing the wisdom of the world. Jesus, arms extended, offers to you acceptance. He accepts you as you are. He says, come all. Come one, come all. Come just as you are. This idea that you can somehow clean yourself up before you come to God is ridiculous. You know what you do as you clean yourself up? You rub yourself with crap. That's all you've... I'm sorry. Um, I'll use a Bible word, dung. You rub yourself... It's just filthy rags. Forgive me. I'm sorry. We all sin, right? So, you, you, it, you, you're just, you, make, you make it worse. You, you have nothing to clean yourself up with. It's only the blood of Jesus that can cleanse you. And God offers you acceptance just as you are. He also offers you significance. He created you. He made you. He formed you. And he loved you so much that he came and died for you. How important are you to God? 
that he would send his only son, Jesus, to redeem you, to set you free from this. And then he offers you security. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and no one can snatch them out of my hand. That we can have our eternity secure today. Significance, acceptance, and security in Christ Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to the cross. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This word repentance, sometimes we think that it means I'm sorry or that I'm going to stop doing what I was doing before. But really repentance at its core, what it means is a turning, turning from one thing to another. And it has to do not with actions, but with your thoughts and with your mind. And so Jesus comes and he says, it's time to repent. It's time to turn from the natural, earthly, unspiritual, demonic way of thinking that you're viewing the world. And it's time to turn and to receive God's wisdom, God's truth into your life. And to believe in God and not the lie of the enemy. Jesus comes, he says, it's time to change your thinking. It's time to change your mind. It's time for you to think differently. And the truth is that when we do that, when we embrace the, the wisdom of God, that it changes the way we act. Amen. It cha- well, I mean, why am I gonna continue in sin when I see it's in result so clearly? It's when I can't see it clearly that I move into it, that I move into the trap. But when I do repent, when I do embrace the mind of Christ that is available to me, it changes who I am, it changes how I live. So Christ, he offers us a way back. He offers us a path out of moral ambiguity. He offers us a pathway out of the cloud. He offers us a pathway out of the the life of shades of gray. He offers us the path of love, and he offers us a path back to God. And he says that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from the lies of the enemy. So I can boldly proclaim that I once was blind, but now I see. And there's this other lie in our world that says, you know what you need to find what you want? You have to look inward. Look inward. Look inside of you. You've got everything you need. You just need to work on your self-esteem. You just think that you're not good enough. And you just need to say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and by golly, people like me. And you'll just bring all good vibes into your life. You just need to look inward. It's a lie. It's a lie. We don't look inward, we look upward. We look up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're not good enough, but in Christ, God has made us righteous. Through what Christ has done for us, he has made us alive today. We are good enough in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 